0: It's my favorite time of most weeks. It's time for Pastor Potluck. I'm Court Green.
1: And I'm
2: Peter Constantian.
0: And with us today, once again,
1: Gordon Pike.
0: And today, Peter is going to be interviewing Gordon and I about the book of James. This is not because we are world-renowned biblical scholars (laughs) on the general epistles. This is instead because both of us happen to be doing studies in James. And we'll talk about that more if Peter asks us about that. I will point out one Is it incongruity? I don't know what it is. But um, when I interviewed them a few weeks ago about Revelation, I I gave them a list of questions beforehand. In fairness, i strayed from it twice. Peter has not done that. He's going to just surprise us. And I'm excited about that. I like to be able to think on my toes, and I hope Gordon is as well.
2: I'm more of a go with the flow. There kind you. of guy myself, and I'm highly caffeinated this morning, so I'm Woo! ready for this interview. <laughs> this is Pastor Potluck, and uh, though we are going off lectionary today, I thought that it would be it's still fitting for the podcast since we have a little bit of uh, diversity in the room. Um, we do have two Methodists and one Baptist. but I, I realized that I'm a northerner. I grew up in Minnesota. Uh, court, I would call a Southerner. Been here all my life, and uh, Gordon, I would describe as a halfbacker.
1: Is no, because <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not going all the way back, right? No, you're not going. I'm back. here. I'm stopped. Okay, I see that's what, you're what a saying. halfback
0: is. Yeah, you you go from up north. Yeah, down but to makes, Florida, but it makes and it then sound, halfway
1: back. But it makes it sound like I'm halfway back, as in I'm not all the way there, and I am all the way there. He's all the way but there. But I understand he's what you're staying. saying. He, I understand the He's time. staying. So it's not pejorative, is it? <laughs> it it kind of is. Yeah. Exactly. It is pejorative. So we have a difference
2: of perspectives here. We're bringing different uh, covered dishes to the Pastor Potluck this morning yeah, on man. the book of James. Uh, the first question I want to ask the both of you is, how, how did you decide to what what are you doing specifically with James this summer and how did you decide to do that uh, Gordon why don't you start
1: well I mean you know after the pandemic you know we started getting back together again and we had had a bible study at this one particular church and so I wanted to start again but I think what's curious about it is that I think it got picked because um how's the best way to explain that not, not so much because it's short But because on the surface, it seems very uh, easy, not not even easy, I don't know how to describe it. I I think people misunderstand the depth of this. Mm. So I think they really thought, you know, because when when you hear James Joyce things, Faith Without Works is dead. And so I think they were thinking in terms of it might be a, I won't say an easy read, but but wouldn't be anything intense. It would be a good way to break back in. Uh, But they were to be surprised. So
2: uh, a wrong. summer read, an easy summer read is what they were thinking. Yeah. How about you, Corey?
0: Well, I'm gonna take the last thing you said as my leading off point. You said a summer read. And so last summer, I you know, in the summertime you got your vacationers, you don't wanna lose you don't want people to lose track of the stuff you're doing when they go out for vacations and come back. So you, you're always looking for different things to do sermonically. And so last summer I did court on shuffle where I essentially just put my my playlist on shuffle and would look for theological things and songs that I was able to play in church and in other words there weren't too many cuss words and stuff like that and and would take the theological messages from these songs and and find where the Bible talks about them It, it, it was fun this year I didn't want to do that again because, you know, oh, nothing better than the the classics, right? You don't want to start repeating yourself. And so I decided to do what's called summer reading list. And essentially I'm stealing that from, I don't know, middle schools or whatever, Mm -hmm. where we're going to read through books during the summer. There's no pizza party if you make a certain amount of books. (laughs) But But there should be. There should be. We're going to have an ice cream social, so that'll be the same thing. Okay. Anyway... So, I was looking for, like like Gordon just said, something that was fairly short. And so, first I did Philemon, which is one chapter. There's There are no chapters. <laughs> right, just Philemon, is. chapter Philemon, you know. Anyway, so, I did that, and that took two weeks. And then, I thought, okay, James. And James is my favorite book in the New Testament. And that's because he comes out and smacks you in the face and doesn't let up. Hmm. And I love it. Uh, every, I'm, I guess I'm kind of a... Is it masochist? Is that what when you like being yeah, tortured? I think masochism yeah, masochism is the, <laughs> so the word. So I, I mean, I'm somewhat of a masochist theologically, and I like to be reminded that I'm a human too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get ordained and become perfect. And so I like James for that reason, but it's also short, and therefore I, I got into it. I was like, okay, there's five chapters. We'll run that for five weeks and look for something else. But we're on week four, and I'm just now in chapter two. And so okay. it's gonna take. I've, I've got it scheduled because I am a planner. It should run through August twenty second.
2: So there's some unexpected depth to James, there's is what I'm lot. hearing from both of you. And just to clarify, Court, you're doing a sermon series, not a Bible study. Yes, and that'll kind of change, I guess, how uh, how you approach the text too, as far as. Um, how you lead people through do you have a timeline for so you have a timeline Mm -hmm. which is going to go through august when is your bible study wrapping up do you have a timeline for that we just when we're going through yes go with the flow get to the end i love that because sometimes if you 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 get in and you find a a a text a a a chapter a a book of the bible that's uh, that has some unexpected depth to it and if you've already set a schedule for when you're going to wrap it up uh, it can feel like you're cutting it off too short. I want to um, ask you all to pick a verse that you feel like encapsulates for you or uh, the the message of James or is a is a good example of what James sounds like and I have to admit that uh, So far in my career as a pastor which has just hit the two-year mark. Congratulations. Thank you mm-hmm. I, I have only led Bible studies on books that I took classes on in Divinity School, with the exception of Revelation, which was, we found out, is, we found out, a um, perennial request by congregation. So I went ahead and and did that. But I am uh, unfamiliar with James in that I haven't read it since probably college. So I'm really relying on your insight from your Bible study and from your sermon series to fill me in. So what would be a verse that for you would um just exe- exemplify the teachings of james court i'll start with you
0: i assume we're not just going to read the verse and also say why
2: yeah please do i want to okay. i want to know all right what exemplifies the book
0: of james and the person of james whoever that is to me is james 1 through 24 which says this is nrsv But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any are hearers of the word, and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in a mirror. For they look at themselves, and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. And the reason I think this encapsulates James so much is because he demands action. He does not stop with, Okay, you say you're faithful, that's good. Which is what through most of my life at least most protestant congregations that i've been affiliated with have have kind of done Mm. we want to get them down the aisle and get them in the water and get them to you know put our stamp of approval on their lives and that's it they're christians good luck Hmm. and now i don't i don't mean to disparage church and so don't hear that i think that there's a there's there's goodness in that there's something to that but then we just kind of stop and and james commands that we be disciples Hmm. that we do as jesus did that that our actions speak louder than our words which is very christ-like by the way um he he wants to see us doing something not because we can be good enough to earn god's favor but because if we really believe, then that manifests action, and so I think throughout the entirety of the letter, it comes back to that whether it says it
2: or not. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back and ask questions, but first let's, uh, let's hear what Gordon thinks is a a good passage to summarize or as an example of the teachings from James.
1: Yeah, so that would be James chapter three and to do this 10 through to 12 and it says out of the same mouth come praise and cursing my brothers this should not be can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring my brothers can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs neither can a salt spring produce fresh water and it it, it ties off with what's already been said In the sense that James is is constantly challenging us between you say one thing, but let's look at what you're doing. Because what you're doing says as much more than than what you're just saying. Mm. And so it's a constant challenge because there's something going on in this church that's dividing it, that's causing it to get into to be in turmoil. And so basically challenging both sides of the argument to, to look at the fruits of what you're doing. Your church is in turmoil. How can it? It's it's a mirror, and it's really a, a tough call because he's relentless about it. He's constantly looking at them and saying, "Well, now you say one thing, but here's what I'm saying." And and then over here, this is what Jesus said, and this is what I should be seeing, or I'm not seeing from everybody. And I mean, like this passage here is like right out of one of what Jesus said. You know, can a grapevine bear pears or whatever? I that kind that of thing. quote, but that's
2: pretty close. Yeah. You know,
1: it's, yeah, I know. It's, but you know me, man. Like I
2: said, I read this I think in college, and I I, I remember it, it it appealing to me, it, it making a mark, and it's specifically because of what you said, Gordon, that um, that you know our what we say should match what we do, and, you know, the I don't know who said it, but there's this uh, saying that that meant a lot to me at the time when I was reading this. That was like, you want to know what someone believes? Show me how they live. Yeah. And to me I felt very convicted by that. I think I felt very convicted by James as well, because I, I wasn't sure if I could actually delineate the difference between the way I was living and the way everyone else was living. What so that brings me to my question for both of you, and I'll start with you, Court. You you mentioned that it's about being disciples, about action, about doing something. And I, I wonder what what do you think James Means when he says be a disciple or what what would that word mean when seen through the lens of the book of James? What does it mean to be a disciple? So I'm going to back up before I get to that answer and give you a brief
0: rundown, not you, but our dear listener, a brief rundown of canonization of James. Alright, take us there. James almost doesn't make the Bible. Hmm. And the reason is because... He's so Jewish. Um, he is writing to Jewish Christians. We can almost be sure. Hmm. He is writing to people who follow the law, and he talks about the law a lot. And for that and several other reasons, the those who decided what was going to be in the Bible and what was not, almost did not include James. Hmm. The reason he gets in is because there's this... Maybe it's true. Maybe it isn't. Rumor going around. Well, we we're pretty sure that he was walking there with Jesus. In fact, we're pretty sure he was related to Jesus. So mm-hmm. They're like, oh man, we better we better let him in. Thank is it, God that the a, rumor existed because he's of, a legacy, right? Yeah, yeah. So he gets yeah. in on that. Uh, it is useful, but so that it kind of meets two qualifications of canon canonicity. Um. But he almost doesn't get in. Why did I bring that up? Because we have to remember that Jewish audience Hmm. and how Jewish it is. And remember, these are people of the law. This is a Jewish Christian church to whom he is writing. Again, we can almost be sure. Can't be sure, but we can almost be sure. And so these are people who are focused on practice. This is what I think of when I think of Methodism. Method. Um, these are people who are focused on the law, the way we live our lives, and so there, he, he's now has to take the this idea of people who are focused on the law and apply Christ to it, hmm. because that's that's the faith they're trying to live. Right. And I forgot your original question.
2: What is a disciple? Okay. Through so, James's eyes.
0: So. So how, do you, how does a, a group of people who have been brought up focused on living a certain way mm-hmm. exercise faith in Christ? Mm-hmm. And the answer is to essentially do what Christ did, mm-hmm. to live the law in a certain way, live the law in the way that Christ taught it. And in doing so, he brings them back to being faithful to that law and being faithful to Christ. And so that is essentially the definition of a disciple, (laughs) one who does the things that the master did. And so they become disciples and live the law according to the way that Christ lived. Do you agree
2: with that definition, Gordon?
1: Well, okay, (laughs) Uh, yes, Uh, under Jewish culture, the, the role of the disciple if you recall like even when 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 followers of john the baptist showed up you almost don't have to ask they almost dress exactly they they speak exactly when you look at the uh uh i won't say apocryphal but when uh, what i forget what the word is when when someone writes in the name of their master the the, the language would, yeah yeah it would be that close but that's i think let me take this to a different kind of depth a little bit is that what's happening for me when I read this is there, there was no canonization back then there was no standard text there was no we got got communities out there that are trying to figure this out what Mm -hmm. does this mean okay and you've got people who are showing up and declaring themselves Christians and then develop and this is why your question is so important they're calling themselves Christians and then they're drawing adherents Mm. but the question is what are they learning Mm. okay they're bringing ideas and thoughts into the church that's causing division Which is why James's mirror is so important. He's not only holding up the mirror to to me and saying, are you following this? He's giving me something that I can turn around and go, well, what is this guy who says that he's a, a, a prophet or whatever, how does that measure up to... What are the standards that these people are bringing into the community measure up to the standards of Jesus and stuff? Because you've got people that are coming in and preaching kind of Nicolaitanism or a kind of agnosticism and so forth where there's you're in my group and these people aren't and so forth. But I think basically, like you say, what does it mean to be a disciple? There was no way to to regulate that like today. There was no, and and we know this has been an ongoing problem. That's why we got the Nicene Creed and the Apostles Creed and so forth, because things were beginning to develop. In, you know, we're used to instantaneously being connected, mm-hmm. but for years, isolated communities could begin to develop their own kind of thoughts. And so, w- when I look at this and I read this, he's constantly dealing with the fact that there are these people showing up who are claiming to be something, i.e., Christian, who are introducing very unChristian ideas.
0: So you're saying that they are not being doers of the word and therefore they are merely deceiving themselves
1: i think they might be doers but what are they doing what are they you see what i'm saying mm-hmm. what, what kind of you know
2: what do their the practices doing, lead to you know yeah, what, what is the what, effect what, on the christian community and
1: if you look at this it's this constant turmoil and there, he talks mm-hmm. constantly about discord and so forth like that and and so how do you how how can you decide how can we these poor people they don't know mm-hmm. And so, interjecting a kind of a, a thing into there to say, well, here's how you can tell. Are they doing this? Are they doing this? Or are they saying and doing this? Yeah. And in fact, like you said, they're, they're being doers. The question mm-hmm. is, what kind of fruit are they promoting? And in one case, in some cases, they're saying, well, I'm, I'm promoting, I'm a Christian. But then he says, you're saying that you're fresh water, but what's coming out of your mouth is salt water. Hmm. You see what I'm saying?
2: You lost me on that one. Explain.
1: Well,. That the, that these guys are going around and and let's face it, we I, all right. I'll put it in practical terms. Yeah, do you have an example? There are people who claim to be Christians who don't actually, shall we say, live it. Now they might be doers, but their idea of doing is completely different. Um, you know what I'm trying to say? Um, I'm trying to exp- well. For example, they go around and say, well, I'm a Christian, I go every Sunday and everything. Yeah, but, but when you see a guy on the street, you don't give him five bucks, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're doing, you're going to church, you're tithing, but then on the flip side, you know, you're you're over here, you're maybe bad-mouthing your neighbor because they had a baby out of wedlock or something. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That's a di- so that what's coming out of their mouth, because he talks a lot about the mouth.
2: This is a good uh, pivot towards talking about today but i want to put a bookmark in and say at the end of this podcast since we've been talking about the canonization process and all of the mayhem it seems like that was going on in the early church in terms of working out what it meant to be a disciple in the absence of a, a, a bible like we have it today i will ask you to share some of your resources books that people could read about canonization process or uh, the context that 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 surrounds the writing of James that I think will be helpful for our listeners. But uh, I'll give you some time to think about those. And my next question then pivots us as uh, Gordon was already doing to the present. We still as Christians um, have uh, great differences as in terms of our practice and in terms of our understanding of what it means to be a disciple. So uh, one of the tools that I learned in in seminary in, in terms of crafting a sermon is to think about what's my focus which I believe is what we shared with those scriptures that you that you read for us but also what is my function that is to say what is it that I want this sermon to achieve and I wonder if you've thought about that for your Bible study and for your um, sermon series, in terms of our modern day Christian experience and understanding of what it means to, de- to be a disciple, what do you want your Bible study to achieve in the lives of those people who are studying? And what do you want your sermon series to achieve in terms of the lives that, of people who are attending your service? Court, go ahead.
0: I, I want to read some more verses from chapter 2, and that, that'll tell you where I want to go with this. Chapter 2, 1, my brothers and sisters, do with your acts of favoritism, do you with your acts of favoritism, really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, for if a person with gold rings and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor person in dirty clothes also comes in, and if you take notice of the one wearing the fine clothes and say, have a seat here, please. While to the one who is poor you say, stand there, or sit at my feet. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? I think that my purpose, be it James's or not, Mm -hmm. but my purpose in this sermon series is to have some unity. Because our world is so incredibly divided, and our churches are so incredibly divided as microcosms of the world we live in, that we need some healing and we need some unity and we need something that draws us together. And this is James's challenge to us to put aside our differences because this ought not be. Um, This, this is not, well, verse one said it in a rhetorical question. Do you with your acts of favoritism really believe in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ? Answer. No, you don't because The lord jesus christ is for everyone it's a unifying force where it should
2: be so acts of favoritism would be one thing that james says is an example of how not to be a christian how not to be a disciple
0: yeah you 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 deceive in yourself if you think you are a christian Hmm. while producing those acts with your
2: life okay but
1: but here's what's curious about this okay because what john what james does over and over again everything that he says in chapter one he repeats but he goes a little bit harder and yep. a little bit deeper and so forth so when you talk about favoritism he starts out with this uh image of the rich person you come forward and you poor person sit in the back kind of thing but then he begins to develop this thing into this it's it's oh you know, it just it takes my breath away to where he gets to the point of the, the the degree of favoritism goes right down to like well you know what i've read the bible and i don't like those parts but i do like those parts. So i will follow that Now that's favoritism. Mm-hmm. And later on he talks about like you're choosing which part of the law that you'd like to obey and when you do that you're you're you know you're you're being judged. You're being a judge. See he he threw that up there. So Larry says, "Who are you judging like you say? He talks so about speak the law. and so
0: act as those who are to be judged by the law of liberty."
1: And and, and he really kind of pushes this idea that so when we when these people show up and they're saying, well, that's not really what it means. You know, that, that's not really what that means. That you know." Well, and so right. forth like that. Then I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this, this poor person. I don't know any better, but this person, this teacher, because he's constantly going back to this mouth and teaching and stuff, this idea that, that people are choosing... When you choose to obey some and not parts of other, then you put yourself in the place of God, and that is evil. Mm. Because you are now, you're judging the law, which came from God. So what basically you're doing is you're pushing God on and, and saying, speaking for God, which is what a prophet would do. These are false prophet types. Anyway, I, I don't know if I'm making sense, but, but he, yeah. when, he, when he gets to the argument about choosing which laws you're going to obey, because you're right, you're talking about a Jewish audience mm-hmm. and so forth like that then it really kind of takes on a like wow so favoritism he keeps expanding on this idea of, of when you live this life being a disciple right to go back to your question it's not a question of like well i like some of the things that court does and i'll follow it and some that i don't when you're a disciple you follow that person right down to dress almost Do mm-hmm. you see what i'm saying yeah. and you take what that teacher that what the rabbi teaches you Period. That's it. He said. Therefore, and yet these, this process. But anyways, we see it in church today. Yeah. Exactly. You know. Well, I don't. I don't like the. I don't like the 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 sin talker. I don't mind like if the, you
0: preach about their sin, but not my sin, my sin. Which verse ten in whatever chapter we're in says, for whoever keeps the whole law but falls in one point has become accountable for all
2: of it. Chapter <laughs> two. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh, that that really. Uh, uh, checks out with what I've studied from the the history of the development of the church. I remember, I believe it's Irenaeus who was writing against the Gnostics um, or another similar group who promoted some sort of mystical knowledge that only a certain number Thank of you. people had access to in um, the way that they uh, crafted this mystical knowledge or demonstrated that they had access to it was basically by taking the scriptures the old testament at the time shattering it picking apart verses that they um, that they felt like contributed to what they were communicating about this hidden knowledge and then kind of reassembling them and Irenaeus said what you're doing reminds me of a mosaic See, the scriptures, he said, they're, arra- they're, they're arranged as a mosaic that, when taken in whole, portray the image of a king. But what you've done is shattered the mosaic and rearranged the tiles into the image of a fox. Uh, so. It-
1: and I would like to, but to answer your question about like what the Bible study, what I hope to happen, yeah, I, I got be <laughs> I got to be honest with you. So when we picked this, I, I, I knew I knew that they didn't understand what they were getting in in for. Mm-hmm. And I, I think there's a really uh, a misunderstanding of James a lot. And so as I was going through this, what I kept doing and I keep doing until the very end is he's challenging us. Mm -hmm. He's challenging you, and he's challenging Beaver Dam, and I'm asking. We're he's asking us. I said, picture him sitting at the table here with us, and he's asking us, "Do we do these things?" Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where are we showing favoritism? The
0: challenge comes right out the gate and never stops. I mean, and look at the way he starts the book. It's like one verse of "Hey, how's it going?" and then consider it pure joy (laughs) when your lives absolutely suck. I mean, it's it just never relents, Mm -hmm. which
2: makes it relentless sure okay so let's say more about kind of what I like the Gnostic thing what what do you think James's message would be to to your church to to the church or the churches broadly speaking of Canton North Carolina it
0: it may be that we've had it too easy for too long and we've gotten soft Hmm. because James calls for a lot of things but chief among them is never to soften up and be faithful and live your faith and in america it's been too easy for too long mm. what happens to muscles that aren't exercised they atrophy and the church is the body of the christ is in danger of atrophy mm. oh my gosh my denomination has lost its freaking mind mm. um they they're fighting over all this power that they're not supposed to even have in the first place and you know they had a big schism in the Late seventies through the eighties and into the early nineties that split them, and they were like, "Okay, well now we have the conservatives and the and the liberals, and we're good." And then they said, "Well, we can go even more conservative." By the way, you two, it's coming for mm. y'all. Um, you know it's true. Anyway, um, so now they're having another fight to say, "Oh, we can go even more conservative than that," and and we're at each other's throats, and it's ridiculous. Why? Because we've we've forgotten how to be the church hmm. we've figured out how to have churches we've figured out how to pay lip service to being followers of Christ but we've forgotten that it, it, somewhere in there we have to actually follow Christ and that takes humility and that takes unity and that takes a bit of suffering it takes being the church James calls us to be and instead of erecting the churches that we think we should be
2: hmm. what would you say Gordon uh, to the methodist church as a whole or to whatever scale what do you feel like the message from james is to our churches
1: i think we're we're seeing it our church is in turmoil the denomination we're on the verge of splitting we're on we got all this this uncertainty and all this stuff's going on and i would think that he would almost i could almost see him standing up at general assembly and saying well let's take a look at what you're produ- where's this going? What, is the, what are you producing here? You're obviously not producing harmony or unity, because if we all had a solid following this, this thing, why would there be all this division? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. We've gotten so many ideas, even like what he's mentioned, so many ideas coming in. And then we've got these struggles, right? My way is right. See, I'm the freshwater. You're the saltwater. No, I'm the freshwater. You're the saltwater. And it's just, you know, I think that he would call us and say, well, look, you know, you're, you're, you're like a two-headed dog where both heads are trying to lead. And, and I guess basically what the challenge would be is he would just simply say, look at where you're at. Is it working no something's amiss yeah
2: that that's really uh interesting and and (laughs) helpful for me in understanding uh or or trying to understand the conflicts that we face in our denominations because it sounds like what you're saying gordon is it's not that james would come down on one side of the argument or the other he would accuse both sides everyone if you're by saying if you're not practicing the teachings that Jesus gave us, then you are blind to, to how to proceed in the face of such questions. I th- I think First, we have to return to the practice of being disciples, doing what Jesus said, and then the rest will become clear. And I think it sounds like what you're saying is that the hope is, his hope is, that if we return to the practices that Jesus laid out for us, if we return to the way, the way of life that Jesus laid out for us, then such issues will no longer divide us because we will be more, much more concerned about other things entirely than the, whatever we're bickering about at this present moment. Our, our our divisions will be much more practical and will be resolved on a much smaller scale. Does that sound right? So- it does,
0: but it, it sounds right. It sounds like the way I would imagine Paul saying it. James would say it and take it one step further. He would not say if we're not practicing. He would say obviously because of the results that I'm seeing, you haven't been
1: you practicing. Aren't. So so for example like in 3 he says who is wise and understanding among you. I love these questions he does. I mean this is this is not only rhetorical. It's kind of like come on man, you yeah. know. And he says let him who th- who where are shows you? it uh, chapter 313 okay who shows it by his good life see here we go by deeds done in humility That comes from wisdom. And then later he says that wisdom comes from heaven. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. So that's mirror one. Then he comes down here. He said, but wisdom that comes from heaven. He's constantly putting these two things side by side. He says, here's what would happen. And and let me ask you this. Is this what we're seeing today? Uh, It's pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, and sincere.
0: Or is it the verse that you skipped? Let me pause to add that he didn't actually skip it. I just kind of got somewhere else off in my mind, and so I apologize for saying that he skipped it. Back to the program. Envy, justify? selfish ambition. ambition,
1: right, 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 and 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 disorder. Mm. And he would. And when when it, when it says disorder, in every year, that we're looking at the church in disorder, but we're not asking ourselves what's the source of that disorder. I think we're looking at it like how can we get rid of the disorder when one side overcomes another.
2: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean we we as pastors though, I think are particularly susceptible to getting embroiled in debates over theology as opposed to sticking to the practical work of discipleship.
0: But there's another verse that he skipped.
2: Okay. Yeah, he didn't ahead.
0: skip he just didn't get to it yet. Okay. And it challenges this notion that we'll bring the order when we win the day. Mm-hmm. 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace for those who make peace. Exactly. It is not about winning the war. It is about being willing to sacrifice your selfish ambitions in order to live like Christ who sacrificed himself. Exactly. And make peace. Yeah, That's the only thing that will keep the church together. And we have not seen that in a long, long time.
2: So when someone uh, comes up to me and says, well, Peter, what do you think about such and such issue? What do you think about this or that? And it seems to me that it's totally divorced from like practical action. It's really just kind of like a brain, brainy theology question that, I, that doesn't seem to have any you know, footprint on this actual earth. What should I say to them?
0: Well, how should I address I, that? I've got that down to what I think is a science, it's worked for me anyway, and that is to first respond to their question with a question, are you asking me as your pastor, at, who represents your church, as a friend, or as you know, a theologian like you might watch a political pundit on TV?
2: Hmm.
0: And how they answer that is how I'll answer the question. If they're asking me as their pastor, I'm going to make sure that I'm not sowing seeds for division. If they're asking me as their friend, we're going to have a friendly conversation. If they want the nerd court, and there's plenty of that, <laughs> then they'll get it. But they have to, and I, I, I will challenge them at the, before I'll answer the question, okay, you chose pastor. So that's because you're going to get. Okay, you cho- chose the nerd. You're getting the nerd. Do not go around and say, my pastor says such and such, because your pastor didn't say it. The nerd said it. Okay. And it's worked pretty well for me. Okay. And and so then we can have whatever discussion they want to. If if they want a political discussion, they're not getting it from their pastor. Hmm. They may get it from me, but they've learned that I'm lean libertarian, so it's of no value anyway. So anyway, uh, that that's how I handle that. Okay, Gordon.
1: I don't, I don't, I'm not really sure because it is difficult to want to turn that question around and and, and try to like pull them into like. <laughs> you know, this is nice, but how does it play itself out? You know, how right. do you, and that's always, so from, from pulpit point of view or pastor point of view, is, is constantly my goal of how do you live this out? But in that kind of conversation, I don't think they're looking for that. So like you said, like, this is nice and I enjoy these conversations, but really if there's some way to kind of get them to, to kind of look at like, well, you know, talking about it's one thing, Mm-hmm. and i don't mind time i like theology because you know and i don't know if i could do this really fast okay but like everybody knows c.s lewis and yeah, you know i enjoy c.s lewis it's like watching a high it's like watching a high trapeze guy he's flipping around and you know i had to reread three paragraphs and everything and that's all good until his wife died
2: mm-hmm.
1: i don't know if you've ever read grief observed mm-hmm. but it went from here to here and his writing completed. He pointed
0: at his head first and then his heart.
1: Yeah, and, and and stuff. And he was, and he had to walk through this resentment and everything like that. But he finally got down to the point of like what James is saying. Is this real or is it not? Do you trust and believe in me like you say you do? You've written all these great books. Mm-hmm. You've done all these flipping around and all these other stuff and, and done some good work. But when he got right down to the rubber meeting the road, where were you at?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Where were you at? And he had a really a change of heart. This is amazing. You want to read it. It's a good book.
2: So last question, and I, I, I invite you to spend as much time as you need on this, but uh, how has preparing for and leading Bible study and sermon series on James uh, affected you? How, what, what, is the lessons, what are the lessons that you have brought away from teaching, from leading this uh, in your own personal life or how you do ministry? <laughs>
1: Well, for me, because one of the things that, and again, James is, it, it, it's like, if you notice, <laughs> over and over again, he'll say things like, my brother, mm-hmm. my brother. He And he even says, at the very beginning, he says, when I'm talking about teachers, and the reason he talks about the mouth so much is that's how teachers convey, he includes himself. Mm-hmm. And that, right off the bat in the beginning, is it really struck me is, uh, for example, we want to paint and, and and this ties in we want to paint a, a kind of a when he mentions the favoritism and us and them i'm salt water you're fresh water blah 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 and he gets in all this stuff. but really maybe some of the people who are doing this don't really know they're doing it mm-hmm. in other words they don't maybe they're not deliberately trying to show up and lead people astray it's just the way human beings are you know i i don't know about you but you're kind of new but i have served some churches where there's some people that they want to be the big fish i've had them come on you know and i run this church I don't think they started out that way. They would call themselves good Christians. So I don't think that these people were showing up and saying, all right, here's some people that we can take over and manipulate, but simply that human beings, like you mentioned in Gnosticism, you know, that I have knowledge you don't have, and I'm going to have this cohort and stuff. But so where, when you say, when, it, when I look at it from my point of view, it, it leads me to question, am I one of these people that says I'm fresh water, but am I salt water? Am I unintentionally... Maybe am I thinking I'm right? Mm. Am I thinking that that my way is the right way, and I'm not listening to other people, or am I not being open and and so forth? And, and, and it goes back to that disciple thing, and it's it's kind of, it's been challenging for me to kind of like well you know, you know even James is saying maybe even in my discussion here you should measure me by the standards that I'm putting out for you. Yeah. You know, and that's like whoa.
2: No, that's really good. I think that that's. Um An encouraging thing to hear from a a leader, you know this humility when we approach the scripture that we're we're willing to allow it to speak to us to change us. Court, what do you what do you think?
0: I think doing it sermonically, it has been a challenge because if you if you think you're a good preacher and and you have grown comfortable preaching Jesus, preach James. Mm. Because the odds are most of them have not heard all of it. Mm. Most of the people who are hearing your voice have probably not heard much of
2: it. Much of James. Yes.
0: They will have heard the verse here and there. But most of them have not heard them in context. The first sermon that we did in this series, I spent a long time just convincing them of the need to tie 1 5 to 1 2 3 and 4 because we say oh consider it pure joy that's nice and you know that God's gonna bless us or whatever um, and we let me quit. read
2: 1 5 1 yeah two, read three, 1 five first. first well uh, James chapter 1 verse 5 but anyone who needs wisdom should ask God whose virtue whose very nature sorry is to give to everyone without a second thought without keeping score wisdom will certainly be given to those who ask. Okay, stop. And verses no, hold on, hold on. two okay.
0: Let me let me do some commentary and then okay. go you hear that isolated? Yeah. And it sure sounds lovely. Yeah. If oh, I yeah. want wisdom, I'll just
2: ask God ask and God'll give it. Nice. Yeah. And now read why. Okay, so James chapter one, verses two through four says, My brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as <laughs> occasions for joy. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete and lacking in nothing.
0: I need wisdom to know why I'm going through this hell. Mm. And I ask God to show me why I'm being tortured. So it's, it's really It's very different from I want to be smarter, I'm gonna ask God and God's gonna make me smarter.
2: Sure. The the request for wisdom is located yeah and the so the God grants wisdom to those who ask for it from a position of suffering because they are being obedient to what they're supposed to be doing yeah as disciples
0: and so I'm preaching this but I'm also have not having to I get to get the opportunity to educate and and show people things they've never seen Mm. and that's been wonderful but it is a challenge and it has been a a blessing to be able to be challenged at the pulpit i suppose that could happen any week but throughout this study it's one challenge after another after another and it has broken the i guess routine Mm -hmm. that we tend to fall into it's just a, a being humans we do that We find something that works, we kind of stick to it. And because it's so new to people, and, you know, like verse 5, they have certain verses that they've held on to. They see them on bumper stickers and t-shirts and stuff. But you bring it to them in a new way. And it has been wonderful for me, but a big challenge. Mm. And I feel like I've grown in, like you just said, Gordon, it doesn't just use an analogy of a mirror. It also holds a mirror up to all who read it, including the pastor who's going to use it. And man, it makes you feel small. And that's the point. Because hmm. discipleship starts with humility.
2: Right. Good. In early Methodism uh, in the United States, there was the preacher, but then there was also someone who either came before or after called the exhorter. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that position mm-hmm. anymore. But as as far as I understand, exhortation is just sort of like hyping the people up, yeah. and sort of telling them, in in a short way, like what you should do, now or later or whatever. So if you had if you were going to exhort our listeners, based on the Book of James, it, with one sentence, what what is the takeaway? What should we do? Uh, consider me one of the listeners at this point. Uh, what what is the message that you need? me as a Christian to hear exhort me from the book of James
0: so my exhortation is to let your life
2: speak your message Hmm. and you better get to work crafting that message reform my life so that people don't even need to hear what I say James don't care what you have to say but when they see how I act they'll know I'm a Christian okay
1: Mine would be constantly look at your actions and allow them to grow you. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. To constantly reflect. Uh, I, I just always look at what I'm, you know, it's not one sentence. That's okay. But before there was the big book and Alcoholics Anonymous and everything like that, they went with the Bible. And they had to tone it down because that freaked people out and stuff like that. But one of the books that was big in in, uh, the founders was uh, the book of James, Mm -hmm. which is so funny because you go to meetings in AA and they know this. They don't know the book of James and they don't understand. But what we're called to do is to constantly be, you know, so for example, when I first came in, and this is probably maybe a lot of people, you know, we react You poke me in the eye, I punch in the mouth, you punch me in the mouth, I burn your house down. And then I don't ever stop and say, well, now why did I poke him in the eye? And so to me, James is constantly asking, like, what are the fruits? Mm. And let that speak to you and in recovery that should be the process all the time and it, and it, it kind of has become part of my life to where it's like why did I say that why did I do that and, and allow it to say well that was pretty selfish that was well I was scared I was that was immature uh, you know what I'm saying and so constantly and so so we we talk about progress not perfection hmm. and so always like can I move to this ideal that we're looking at in here but one of the, the immediate growth will stop immediately when I say, well, I'm, I'm perfect or I don't need it or this, does, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So when, if I, so I'll give you one sentence, do not arrive.
2: Hmm. Do not arrive.
1: Do not arrive. Because once I thought I've arrived, all my learning shuts down.
2: Wow.
1: You know, I, I've got the routine down, blah, 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 blah. And that's what happens in church, right? They're getting a little freaked out because I've been doing this and I'm starting to challenge them and say, you know what? How much do you guys really know about, I mean, you're all older people, Right. How much you really and they freak out. and I'm just brushing the surface, okay? Mm-hmm. So I wanna I put out this thing. I watched a documentary the other day about how these young women are being lured into the uh, online porno industry, mm-hmm. and within three months they're chewed up and spit out. Mm-hmm. Well, that makes them uncomfortable that I'm talking about this, and I'm like, but turning your back on it doesn't change. Mm-hmm. These yeah. are broke. These are people who. We've let, basically. I said, you know what? We let our we've let our young people down. And then I have to look at that and, and you know and challenge them and say, you know, we need to get on our knees and really get into the battle here. I think we're just sitting on the sidelines waiting for somebody else to fight it. So it's a call to action. Yes.
2: And it reminds me uh, from my time in CPE learning about uh, doctors, and and I think a lot of us, you know, we we, we go to the the hospital hopefully pretty infrequently, but uh, when I spent you know every day of the week in the hospital meeting with doctors meeting with nurses and understanding their process what I learned is that what makes a good doctor or makes a good nurse is not that they like memorize the book in medical school it's this process that they call action reflection action they're always learning from their actions but as soon as they stop acting or if they're afraid to act or if they don't know what to do and they don't act then they stop learning too and so the, the action is important, and the reflection is important, and that's how we build. And maybe that's what we need to be focusing on as Christians, too. Action, reflection, action.
1: Can I give you just like a really, a real-life practical experience that I had that just really kind of focuses for me? So the way it works in, in, in AA and stuff.
0: But if he asks, "Can I?" He oh. does not wait for the answer. Right. That's okay. But yeah, you can't. So permission granted. <laughs> <laughs> so
1: anyways, so it is, I don't want to go into a whole structure thing, but anyways, the big book. Now i want to show you the example. So the AA Alcoholics Anonymous book is like their Bible, man. Mm-hmm. And you th- there's 164 pages. You so don't they ma- read it but ignore it. No, that okay. you got Bible, You got I'm big book thump. But, well, there are, ahead, there are some. There are some that can. There are some who will quote you pages and everything. And yet, next thing I know, I see them out drinking. But where I'm going with this is so everything is run from the bottom up. Okay, the top responds to what the bottom wants. Mm-hmm. Okay, the groups are what are important because you we're the ones that are actually dealing with. This. so anyway so they had so they had this question. And I went to like these area assemblies, you know, and so forth. They got like these hierarchies and stuff. And we spent at least two years arguing about this point and the, and the, and the egos and why well, this and that. And I mean, this was all across AA and everything about this thing they wanted to do with the big book. And it, it just was all went just So in this particular thing that I was at, there was 300 people there. We've been arguing about this for a couple of years. Finally took a vote. And I don't remember, but let's say they voted for A. Now, they do something very unusual. You're allowed to give a dissenting opinion, just like in the Supreme Court. Mm -hmm. So after all this debate, after all this thing, we voted yay, we finally voted A. this little old lady got up, and uh, she walked up to the microphone, and she said, I just want to ask one question. How does this help the drunk coming in the door? (sighs) Silence. And I've never seen this done anywhere else. Let's take another vote.
2: Mm. B. Well
1: wow. how does this help? How is what you're doing helping that poor guy, that new person that that you said sit by the door, you yeah. know? And, and that just pulls it all we're all here for that person right there. Mm. That's it.
2: Yeah.
1: And if I, if we use that as a guide then all the other pieces fit. All the stuff Jesus just all just kind of goes you know, mm-hmm. when you give up all your own stuff and everything and say, you know, I'm here to put myself out for that guy, you know, and, and I really fast because you mentioned the Methodist thing, too, as well. What, in Wesley's diary, remember, what, one of the things he said is that he feared most is that Methodists would become respectable, <laughs> meaning we would forget where we came from. Because mm. we came from the bar rooms and the alleys and so forth in England and stuff. Mm. Those were the people that were starving, the coal miners and this and that. And then he was afraid that one day we would be sitting in the seats. Remember, now the Methodist Church, we, we started the Sunday school. So we taught you how to read. We ta- got you off the booze. We got you stop beating your wife and kids, right? We got your kids going in school. Well, now you're making good money. And then you're going to sit in the chair and go, look at that dirty coal miner guy. He needs to sit in the back. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Wow. And that was his fear. And I think sometimes we, we, we get that way. You know? We're here for some poor soul coming in off the street, and then we're kind of like, well, we'll put up with him for a couple of months, but if he don't change or she doesn't change, we start, you know what I'm saying? I've seen it.
2: Certainly the implications, the applications of the book of James seem uh, very tangible to our lives. Uh, I wonder, now that we're Uh, Drawing to a close, if you would be able to provide our listeners with any resources, if they're interested in studying more about James, or if they're interested in learning a little bit more about canonization or the early church and all of the mayhem related to, what did it it mean to be a disciple at that time?
0: For canonization, there's a book called The Canon of Scripture by F.F. Bruce, and it was written in 81. So, no, 88 but it's, it's pretty good. And for James, I recommend Smith and Hell Commentary as well as uh, New Interpreter's Bible but there is another one and I don't have it because I got dependent on Pfeiffer's Library when I lived in Albemarle and that's where I usually got it. Programming note, I looked and figured, figured out the name of what I was trying to think about and it is the Christian Origins series edited by Richard Horsley. Anything you can find by Richard Horsley do it, Okay, that's, that's my guy, but I recommend anything he writes about it.
2: Gordon? I,
1: I don't have anything specific other than like a good commentary like the NIV application.
2: What are you reading? What's this commentary?
1: This is the new the NIV application commentary by David Nystrom. And it's so funny because it'd be in a short book and then it's like put like he'll go on for like 50 pages over 10 lines. And I just wanted to add this other one really quick thing that, that kind of uh, shows you that, that what, P, what uh, James is doing is when the, rich young, when the rich young man came up and he said, what must I do? And then the guy Jesus says, well, get rid of all your stuff. All of a sudden the reality of how difficult it is to follow Jesus, boom, it's, he says, I can't do it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I think that's what James is kind of doing. Mm-hmm. You know? When the reality of it hits you, and you really look at like what's being asked of us, I can't do it without God's help. Right? I can't. Yeah. That's why he says in the beginning, if you're going to do this thing, it's got to come from above. He constantly refers to that wisdom that comes from above.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a really awesome episode of Pastor Potluck. If you have questions about the Bible, about certain scriptures that you would like us to talk about, a book of the Bible that you yeah. haven't heard much about and you'd like us to, to take a look at it or, or questions about the lectionary in general, we'd love to hear from you. Please uh, find a way to contact us. Uh, you can leave a message on my church answering machine. It's 828 and uh, And thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week. For Pastor Pollock, I'm Court Green. Gordon Pike and Peter Constantian. Thank you, Gordon, for coming. Peace. Peace.